Hi, my name is Joe, and I'm a home decor overspender. Hi, Joe. I made a breakthrough. I found HomeSense. It's unreal. So many brand name sofas. I bought one. Oh, wow, really? It's okay. Yeah. The prices so low. Lighting unexpected. Rugs handcrafted. Wall art eclectic. I go back like every week. <gasps> no, it's always different. New unique decor. Same great savings every time you go. Field trip. HomeSense. Standout pieces. Outstanding prices. We're going to be learning Chidush Rabbeinu Chaim HaLevi, the seventh and last piece in Hilchos Machalos Asuros, Perek Tesvav Halacha Aleph. The issue that Rab Chaim is discussing is one that he has mentioned before in the previous piece, the sixth piece in Hilchos Machalos Asuros, Perek Yudal Halacha Vav, and the second piece in Hilchos Chametzu Matzah, Perek Vav Halacha Hey. And elsewhere, he'll discuss it also. That is, what is the nature of the prohibition of ta'am ke'ikar? The Torah prohibited not only prohibited foods, but also their taste. So Rab Chaim explained that it's not that there is no nullification. There is a beetle. The food has been nullified, but the taste is now a new prohibition. So he'll expand on that and add some other ideas about the essential nature of the prohibition of tam ke'ikar. The Rambam writes, Davar Arab Davar Mutar, if something prohibited was mixed in with something permitted, Min Mino, if they're two different species, then Benosain Tam, if the prohibited food gives taste, then the whole thing is prohibited. So this is the halacha of Tam Ke'ikar. And the example the Rambam says is, Let's say you had prohibited fats which fell into this oat dish, and the fats were totally melted in. So then you taste the oats. If you can taste the fat, then it would be prohibited. And if you can't taste it, then it would be permitted. Now, within the case that you can taste the chelev, so the whole thing is prohibited, the Rambam makes a very important distinction. He says, If there was both taste and substance, there was some real chelev in there, then it's osramin hatora. it's a biblical prohibition. But if there was only taste, there was no substance at all, then it's only osramin divrei sofrim, it's only midrabbanan. Now, what does it mean that there is substance? There is mamish sam chelev here. So the Rambam explains, There was a kazayis, an olive size of chelev, of prohibited fats, within each three egg size of the dish. So for every three eggs worth of oats, there's at least a kazayis of the chelev in there. So in that case, if the person ate the whole dish, all three egg sizes worth of the dish, including the kazayis of the chelev, then it would be asr min Torah. But if they only eat two eggs of it, so they didn't eat the full thing, or if there's less than a kazayis per three egg sizes of the dish, so then it would only be asr midraban, and that's what's considered not having mamish there's not a substance of chelev in there. So the issue of uh, substance in addition to tam depends on a shior having an olive size within three egg sizes of the full dish. And the Rambam repeats the same distinction in Hilchus Nazirus with regard to a nazir drinking wine in Parakei Alacha Hey. He says that Imshara Pito if there was bread that sat soaked in wine, if there's a revius of wine, 
within a measurement of a pras of bread, and he ate the whole pras of bread, so he not only tasted the wine, but there was also substance of wine, then it, he would get punished. Min torah he violated a Torah prohibition, because there was both ta'am and mamish, but if there was less than that amount of wine in the pras of bread, or if he ate less than the full amount of the pras of bread, so he didn't eat a revius within a pras of bread, then even though there's tam, it's only also midivrei sofrim, it's only drabanan, and he gets punished midrabanan, but there is no isardo raisa in that case. Now, the Ravid there disagrees, he quotes from the halachos gedolos, that he held, even if there is no mamish, there is no substance of wine, or in our case, that if there's no chelev in the oats, still it's usr mida oraisa, but you don't get punished mida oraisa. So the Bahag and the Ravid agrees with him, they disagree with the Rambam's distinction that if there's no mamish, there's no substance, there's only tam, it's purely an Easter drabanan. And the Bahag and the Ravid hold that it's still an Isr Doraisa, but there is no punishment Mida Oraisa. So they agree that there's a distinction between whether there's a substance of the Isur food or not with regard to the punishment, but they hold that in both cases it's Asr Mida Oraisa. Now, this all comes from the Gemara Navodazara, which quotes Amr Bavo, Amr Yochanan, that if there's Ta'am and Mamish of the Isur, then it's prohibited and Lokinalov, the person gets punished, and that means a Kazayis Bechteachilas Pras. If there's Ta'am but no Mamish, then it's still Usur, but Ain Lokinalov, you don't get punished. And the Tosus quotes on Amud Beis from Rabbeinu Eliyahu that what does it mean that there's Mamish? It means a Kazayis within the Pras measurement. So that would be Ta'am and Mamish. And the less than that would be only Ta'am but no Mamish. So that's how the Rambam and the Ravid read it too. And again, the Gemara itself makes a distinction that if there's Ta'am and Mamish, then there's punishment. If there's Ta'am and no Mamish, then there's no punishment. The Rambam holds that that means that there's no punishment because it's not Usr Mida Oraisa. It's only Usr Midra Banan. That's why there's no punishment. And the Ravid holds that no, it's still Usr Mida Oraisa, but it happens to be a case where there is no punishment. And the Ravid explains the theory of his position because he says that whether or not there's a Kazayis is a matter of Shi'urin, whether there's the proper measurement for a punishment. But it has nothing to do with the essential Easter. The prohibition is still there. Tom Ki'ikar says that not only is the food itself prohibited, but also the taste of the food is prohibited. So that should be Doraisa in all cases where there's taste. The only thing is that if there's less than a shear, then there's no punishment, but that shouldn't affect whether or not it's actually prohibited mida oraisa. So that's the Ravid's position. Now, Reb Chaim's going to explain the Rambam's approach, and he does this based on halacha just a little bit earlier in Hilchos Macholos Asuros in Perak Yudalat Halacha Yud. The Rambam says, Kol ha'ochlin ha'asurin eno chayv alei machiyocholos an derech hana'a. All prohibited foods, a person doesn't get punished for them until he eats them in a way that has hana, that has pleasure. Uh, chutz, there's two exceptions to this. One is basar b'chalav, milk and meat, and the other is klai hakerem, mixed seeds of the different vineyard fruits. So those two exceptions, a person is chayiv, gets punished, even if they eat them in a way that has no pleasure. And the Raman goes on to explain this. Let's say uh, that someone ate 
chayla uh, fats that were extremely hot or they put nasty, bitter things in them. So they didn't enjoy it at all. In any regular situation of prohibited food items, they're putter, they do not get punished. But in Erev Davar Marlis, Besoch Kedera Shal Basar Bechalav, Obiyayin Klai HaKerem, if they mix that bitter, nasty stuff into milk and meat or into wine of Klai HaKerem, then they would still be chayiv. So the Rambam is saying that if a person eats things, not in the natural way of eating, in general that doesn't meet the threshold of being fit for the non-Jew who lives in Israel. The Torah says that the Nevela should be given to the Ger Asher Bisharecha, the Ger Toshev who lives in Israel. So we derive that only edible foods are prohibited. And according to the Rambam, that includes also Shalokaderech Achilas. And if someone eats them in an unnatural way, it also is not prohibited. With the exception of Basar Bechalav and Klai HaKerem, where it is prohibited even Shalokaderech Achilasan, even though it's not fit to be given to the Ger Toshev. So Reb Chaim points out that this is a bit of a jump for the Rambam. In other words, he's going from the case of food which has been spoiled. So it's not fit to be consumed by the Ger Toshev. So according to the Halacha, that's no longer considered prohibited food. And the Rambam is jumping from there to a case where the person ate it, the act of eating was done unnaturally, and he's saying that that also would be permitted. So Reb Chaim has two ways to explain this. Either the Rambam held that when the Gemara said that if it's not fit for the Ger, it's permitted, it's not referring to the actual object itself, whether you can derive benefit from it. It's talking about that it's permitted in Achila. So the whole leniency has to do purely with the laws of what you can eat. So that's why the Rambam extends it from spoiled food also to the way you eat it. Or the second approach is that the Rambam does agree that the spoiled food is essentially changed. It's now permitted inherently, but what is permitted is to eat it. So the Rambam fundamentally holds that the whole leniency is on what you're allowed to eat, and therefore he's able to derive from spoiled food also to eating food unnaturally would also be permitted. But either way, this doesn't apply the leniency to Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem because there, even Shlok Derech is still Aser. So they don't follow the criteria of being Roi Lager, even if the Ger wouldn't eat it in that way, it's still prohibited. But, says Rab Chaim, there's a big problem here because the Rambam, later on in this parak in Halacha Lamed, says that no Saint Tam Lifgam, that if it gives a taste which is negative, it doesn't enhance the food, it detracts from the food. It's permitted even in Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem. But the Gemara Navodazar and Daf Samach Zayin explains that the whole basis of no Saint Tam Lifgam, that it's permitted, that there's a leniency when the Ta'am is negative, is because we derive from Nevela that only foods which are fitting to be given to the Ger are prohibited. But Tam Lifgam, if it's, it doesn't give a good taste, then the Ger wouldn't eat it, so therefore it's permitted. So how does the Rambam apply that to Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem when he just said that they're the two exceptions that they don't need the criteria of being fitting for the ger. So why should no Saint Tam Livgam be permitted in the case of Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem when Shlokaderech Achilasan was still Aser? 
Says Rab Chaim that according to the Rambam, there's a major distinction between the prohibition of Tam versus the prohibition of eating the actual prohibited food itself. And he says that when the Torah said Tam Ke'ikar is prohibited, it doesn't mean that there is no beetle, that there's no nullification on the food. Rather, it is nullified. The din of beetle comes in and it nullifies this prohibited food, but there's now another prohibition against the ta'am itself, which is learned out from Mishra Sanovim. The Torah says that a Nazir can't drink liquids which even have the taste of grapes. So this would be a new prohibition that the Torah added. There's the prohibition against the food itself, but that is nullified if there's a certain measurement of the good food against the bad food. But still, if there's a taste, then the Torah said that that itself is prohibited and that cannot be part of the nullification process. So this is different than other prohibited types of foods where Rab Chaim says sometimes the whole process of nullification is negated, but Tom does not need gate the bitl. Rather, it's a new prohibition which comes after the bitl and cannot be solved by bitl. So this is the, the idea that Rab Chaim says a number of places in his Sefer. Now, he adds on to this, and this follows from his idea, that the whole concept of Tom being prohibited is a prohibition against eating it. In other words, it's not even saying that the food itself is prohibited, but this food cannot be eaten because there's Tom of the prohibited food in it. And the flip side of that is that if the prohibition against eating was removed, so then the ta'am would no longer be a problem. So that's why there's a difference when it comes to Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem, that Shlok Lasan is still prohibited, even though it's not fit for the ger. And that is because the Rambam says that those foods don't depend on an Isra Achila. The Torah didn't say that it's prohibited to eat those foods. It defined that Isra differently. So in those two exceptions, even if it's not fit for the ger, meaning the person didn't eat it properly, it would still be prohibited. But when it comes to the prohibition of Tom, so that is derived from Mishras Anavim. It's derived from a different Pasuk. It's not derived from the Isur of Basar B'chalav or Klai HaKerem. And in the Pasuk of Mishras Anavim, which teaches us that Tom is also prohibited, it does say Achila. So that only applies in all cases when there's an Isra Achila. In a case where there is no Isra Achila because it doesn't meet the threshold of being fitting for the ger, because it's no St. Tom Lifgam, it's a bad taste. So then in that case, it would be permitted in all cases, even Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem. In other words, put differently, the prohibition of Tom is not derived internally from Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem, where it doesn't depend on whether it's Achila or not. Depends on other things. So that's why there's no leniency for Shlok Derech Achilasan. But Tam is derived from a whole different Pasuk. And in that Pasuk, it does say Achila. So Tam always has to be a proper Achila. If it's no saying Tam Lif Gam, then it does not meet the threshold of a proper Achila. And it's permitted even for Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem. And Rab Chaim proves this idea from uh, the Rashba and the Ran in Navodah Zara. They ask, how can we derive that no St. Tom Lifgam is permitted because it's not fitting to the ger, it's like a spoiled piece of meat. But no St. Tom Lifgam doesn't ruin the whole food. It might just make it a little less tasty than it would have been. So it's not similar to this spoiled food, which is not fitting to be eaten at all. 
So the Ran and the Rajba answer that there's a difference between the food itself, which would have to be totally spoiled from being eaten in order to be not fit for the gear, versus the Ta'am, where even if it just contributes a little detrimentally to the overall dish, it makes it a little less tasty, already we don't consider it no same Ta'am that it would prohibit the rest of the dish. So the criteria for something which is mixed into a larger dish and just giving taste is much lower than how much is needed to mess up the Iser food itself. When it comes to Ta'am, so long as it's just making it a little less tasty, it already removes any prohibition of Ta'am. So Reb Chaim points out that this answer only works if what we're evaluating when it comes to Ta'am Lifgam is the taste itself, what it's contributing to this dish. But if we're evaluating the actual dish, how does the taste of the Isur function in the dish overall, then it's not true that you could say that if it makes it a little less tasty, it's the same thing as the Nevela Lager, that if it's spoiled, he doesn't want to eat it. Because again, like the Ran and the Rashba point out, this whole dish is not ruined. It still might be a very good dish, it just tastes a little worse. So it must be, says Rab Chaim, we're not looking at the dish overall, we're evaluating the Ta'am itself. In other words, it's not that the food is prohibited and even the taste of it is prohibited, so eating any dish with prohibited taste is usser, but rather it's like Rab Chaim said, that the taste is an additional prohibition. It's almost, this is not technically correct, but just to visualize it, it's almost a separate prohibition in addition to the actual prohibited food itself. And that's why, according to the Ran and the Rashba, if that taste affects the main dish in any way detrimentally, then automatically it doesn't fall into the category of ta'am, which prohibits a food. And the only thing we have to evaluate is whether the taste of the dish goes up or down with this added ingredient, the isur ta'am. And that's why the Rambam has the same approach. He says that when it comes to Basar B'chalav and Klai HaKerem, even though in general we don't care when we're evaluating the actual food of Basar B'chalav or Klai HaKerem, whether it's Roy Lager, they don't have that criteria. But when it comes to Ta'am of those two foods, it does need to meet the criteria of Roy Lager, but if it's Tam Lifgam, then we would ignore the Ta'am. Same as the Ran and the Rash, but also differentiate between the prohibition the way the ta'am prohibits and the way the actual food itself prohibits. Now in the third paragraph, Rab Chaim adds to his whole concept here and he takes it even one step further and he says not only is tam ke'ikar a prohibition primarily on eating a food which has tam of an isur in it, but it's also only prohibited if the person is eating it. In other words, there are no other prohibitions on tam other than the prohibition against eating it. And the proof for this is from the Rambam in when he's talking about having a mixture of chametz on Pesach, a mixture of chametz is also a violation of having chametz or seeing chametz. And the Rambam gives a bunch of examples of foods, muris and kutach bavli and uh, some sort of beer from madai. In all those cases, they put wheat in there and it becomes chametz. It's mixed with other things, but it's still prohibited on Pesach. Says the Rambam, if it's a mixture of chametz, though, that's inedible, then it would be allowed to keep on Pesach. And he gives the example of an Arevas Ha'abdanim, the tanning station where they would prepare the skins so they would put 
put flour in there. So the Rambam says that if someone puts flour with the animal skin in there, even an hour before Pesach, it's still okay. You can leave it there because it gets ruined. It's inedible flour. And if they didn't put in the skin, but they put the flour in that station, so then so long as it's been there three days before Pesach, then it already gets ruined. So the point of all of this is once the mixture is inedible, then it's allowed to be left there. And the, the Rambam a little later in the beginning of Halacha Yud Aleph says, if the bread itself got spoiled and it's ruined and even a dog wouldn't eat it, so then it also does not need to be burned. Now, Reb Chaim points out that the Rambam makes a subtle distinction here, that if it's a taroves chametz, it's a mixture of chametz with other things, then it needs to be inedible from a person eating it, and then it can be left over Pesach, it doesn't have to be burned. But if a person would eat it, it has to be burned. If a person wouldn't eat it, then it does not have to be burned. And that's different from chametz itself, the loaf of bread itself, where the Rambam says, and this comes from the Gemara in Pesachim, that it has to be inedible from a dog eating it. So the criteria for chametz itself versus a mixture of chametz is different. The chametz itself has to be inedible that even a dog wouldn't eat it, and then it doesn't have to be destroyed on Pesach. But taroves chametz only has to be inedible enough that a person wouldn't eat it. So Rab Chaim wants to know why did the Rambam make that distinction? So he explains that the Gemara in Pesachim on Daf Memhei says that bread which is spoiled has to be burned because it still can make other breads into chametz. And the Magid Mishnah in Hilchus Chametz Matzah Perak Aleph points out that the Rambam holds that if it's totally spoiled that even a dog wouldn't eat it, then it actually does not need to be burned. So the case of the Gemara where that bread which is spoiled does need to be burned must be where it's spoiled from people eating it. It's inedible for people, but a dog would eat it. So in that category, it has to be burned even though it's inedible for people because it could make other breads into chametz. Now, following that equation, Rabbi Chaim points out that the Rambam would say that if it's so spoiled that even a dog wouldn't eat it, it, once it reaches that category of being inedible even for dogs, then it doesn't have to be burned because it's not even fit to make other breads into chametz. It's not even a leavening agent for other dough. So according to the Rambam, the distinction between bread which is just inedible for people versus bread which is inedible even from dogs is whether or not it's able to be a leavening agent for other breads. That's why the Rambam holds that if it's only inedible from people, it still needs to be burned, as opposed to if it's so spoiled that even dogs won't eat it, it does not need to be burned. Now, according to that, says Rab Chaim, it makes sense why the Rambam holds that in a taroves chamet, if it's a mixture, then it only has to be inedible from people because that's the basic criteria below which chametz doesn't need to be burned. The only problem when it comes to a regular loaf of bread is that it could be a leavening agent for other breads, but a taroves Roves chametz is not a leavening agent for other breads, and therefore it does not need to be burned once it's inedible for people. We don't need to have the higher category of being inedible even from dogs. So that explains why the Rambam makes a distinction between taroves chametz and chametz itself, how inedible it has to be in order to keep it on Pesach. And it doesn't have to do inherently with the Easter of chametz. It has to do with another issue, which is that bread, which is a little spoiled, can still leaven other breads. 
But Rab Chaim has two issues with this approach. First, who said that mixed chametz, a taroves chametz, can't make other doughs into chametz? Why is that true? The Rambam never said that it's specifically a mixture which couldn't make other things chametz. So it seems to include all mixtures, once they're inedible to people, don't need to be burned. And some of those mixtures are leavening agents for other doughs. So that's problem number one with this approach. And the second, Rab Chaim points out that the Ran has a different approach to the whole issue of Tarovas Chametz at the beginning of Parak Elu Ovrin in Psachim Daf Membeis. So he explains that these cases of Tarovas are actually Chametz Nuksha, which is even less than a mixture of Chametz. Uh, the classic cases like glue that used to have flour in it. So there's some flour mixed in and there might have been a little bit of leavening, but it's certainly not real chametz and it's inedible. So the Ran learns that the cases of taroves chametz that don't need to be burned are really that through the taroves it became chametz nuksha. In other words, it never became full chametz. Says Rab Chaim, that does not work in the Rambam because again, the Rambam should have explicitly stated that we're talking about chametz nuksha. He doesn't say that. So it sounds like any taroves chametz even if it became full chametz and then it became inedible, so that's regular chametz, that's not nuksha, that still would not need to be destroyed. So the Rambam, by omission, doesn't seem to accept the Ran's approach. And even more explicitly, the Rambam said the case of the tanning station where they put flour in more than three days before, and the Rambam said it doesn't need to be burned. Now, that's not a case of nuksha. That was regular chametz, which now got ruined. So it seems very clear in the Rambam that any mixture of chametz, even if it was a full chametz, so long as it's inedible for people, does not need to be destroyed. And the question is why, and why should that be different from the case of a regular loaf of bread, which has to be so spoiled that even a dog wouldn't eat it. Says Rab Chaim that the Rambam held that there's a conceptual difference between a mixture of chametz versus regular chametz. And the distinction is that the mixture of chametz is tam ke'ikar. The prohibition here is because there is chametz, which is adding to this larger dish. So since the prohibition is the tam, as soon as it's not fit for a person to eat anymore, that negates the prohibition of tam ke'ikar, and it's no longer prohibited. And this, that the mixture of chametz could make other breads Chametz, it's a leavening agent. That's not a problem in this case because that's only talking about the actual chametz itself, which is included in Balyeroya. So if it's even a leavening agent, then it's going to be a problem. But that doesn't apply to Tam Ke'ikar, even though this taste of chametz would be fitting as a leavening agent, but that still is not a reason to prohibit it. So that's why when it comes to ta'am, said the Rambam, as soon as it's inedible for a person, it does not need to be destroyed on Pesach. But when it comes to the actual bread itself, so it's not ta'am anymore, the actual bread, this food is chametz, then it has to be inedible from even a dog because otherwise it's a leavening agent and that would be a problem. So that's why there's a distinction between the mixture of chametz versus the chametz, how spoiled it has to be. It centers on whether or not it's a leavening agent for other doughs. And if the whole problem is ta'am, then that's no longer a concern so long as it's inedible for humans. Now, from this analysis, says Rab Chaim, it emerges the idea he said before that the whole 
prohibition of Tom only applies to prohibitions of eating. Any other prohibition, Tom is not relevant. And that's what emerges from this analysis because the Easter of Bal Yeroi, not seeing chametz, has nothing to do with eating chametz. It's a separate prohibition to not own chametz. And still the Rambam is saying that if the Ta'am is inedible for people, so then we don't view this mixture as being problematic to own. So that means there is no separate standard for Bal Yeroi different from what a person would eat or not. As soon as it's inedible for humans, it means that this tom is no longer relevant and it doesn't violate Balyera. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. The holidays are over, the new year is here, and the time to act is now. Expert private care at Recovery Centers of America will get you on the road to recovery today. At our award-winning and fully accredited treatment centers on the Eastern Shore and in Southern Maryland, you will be treated with compassion, dignity, and respect by our dedicated team of professionals. You will also benefit from specialized programs, 24-hour medical care, and the comfort of our outstanding facilities. Let us help you. We will answer your call 24-7 and can get you into treatment as soon as today. If outpatient care is right for you, you can receive a same-day assessment and attend therapy in person or virtually. And because we accept most private insurance plans, you get premium care without the premium price. Don't wait. Start your new year. Start your new life today. Call 1-888-RECOVERY now. That's 1-888-RECOVERY. Either. So that's exactly what the Rambam is stressing, that once this mixture of chametz is inedible for people, the whole tam is no longer a factor, and it doesn't even violate Bal it doesn't need to be destroyed, even though it could be a leavening agent for future foods. But none of that gets started because the tam is irrelevant in that case. So Rab Chaim's point is that tam is only a problem when it involves being eaten. Once it's removed from being eaten, then it loses any status of being usr. Now, Reb Chaim questions this approach from the Rambam in those halachas in Chamtzu Matzah, Parag Dalet, Halacha Yud. He has a list of medications, Hilor and Retia and Aspalanis and Triak, all these types of medications that have some chametz in them. The Rambam says you're allowed to keep them on Pesach Sharei, Nifsedot Suras Chametz, because they've lost any appearance of chametz. And again, in the next halacha in Yud Aleph, he talks about chametz that's used as laundering detergent or as glue for papers. Any of those types of things you're allowed to keep on Pesach, and there is no prohibition of Bal Yirah, Bal Yimotzei. And again, the Rambam explains, Shein Tzuras HaChametz Omeres, because the appearance of Chametz does not remain. So the Rambam introduces a new factor, that Chametz, which does not have any appearance of Chametz, is allowed to be kept on Pesach. So what does that mean? So Rab Chaim explains that since this chametz was used for laundry or as glue or the medications, in all of these cases, it's not meant to be eaten. Nobody's going to then go eat this chametz. So that's what the Rambam calls that it lost the appearance of chametz. And even though it actually is edible, Rab Chaim points out that the triak, which is one of the medications, which the Rambam in Halacha Yud says does not have to be destroyed on Pesach, but a short two halachas later in Halacha Yud Beis, the Rambam calls triak something that not everybody eats, but some people will eat it. So it's clearly edible. So when the Rambam says it lost its appearance of being chametz, it does not mean that it's totally inedible physically. 
a person could eat it, but these objects a person is not going to eat. Once it's been used for medication or laundry or glue, it's no longer going to be eaten. And that the Rambam calls that it lost its appearance of chametz and it no longer has to be burned on Pesach. So using this concept, Rab Chaim says that we could explain the psak of the Rambam that taroves chametz, which is inedible for humans, doesn't need to be burned in the same way. According to the Rambam, we could call it that it lost its appearance of chametz because it cannot be eaten by people anymore. So it would be a bit of an expansion of the Rambam's category of losing the appearance of chametz, meaning there's two types of foods under the category of having lost their appearance of chametz. One is a medicine or a laundry or a glue, anything which could be edible, but is used in a way where people are not going to eat it. So since people are not going to eat it, it's no longer considered chametz. It can be left on Pesach. And the second category are foods which in general people do eat, a taroves chametz. So there's some chametz in there. It's usual to eat it, but this particular dish has become spoiled enough that it's inedible for people. So again, that would be in the category of having lost its appearance of chametz and it doesn't have to be destroyed on Pesach. And this approach would also account for why there's a difference between the bread itself, which needs to be more spoiled, that even a dog wouldn't eat it, because you can't say that bread itself, chametz itself, lost the appearance of chametz. You could say that when it comes to a mixture of chametz, but the chametz itself is chametz. So there's no such concept as losing the appearance of chametz. Even if it's inedible to people, it still needs to be burned until it's so spoiled that a dog wouldn't eat it, and then there's a leniency even for chametz itself. So with this approach would also explain why the Rambam requires that bread itself has to be more spoiled than a mixture of chametz, and it's based on this concept of losing the appearance of chametz, which Rab Chaim extends from glue and laundry also to the case of taroves chametz, that once it's inedible, it's lost that appearance of chametz, but that concept would only apply to a mixture of chametz. It doesn't apply to chametz itself, and that's why the bread itself has to be even more spoiled than just inedible for people. Now, Reb Chaim points out that if the second approach is true, then it would remove his proof from the first approach that the Rambam holds the whole concept of tam is totally intertwined with being able to be eaten. If it can't be eaten, so then it loses its status of Tom and it doesn't create an Easter anymore. According to the second approach, it doesn't focus on Tom at all, but rather on losing the appearance of chametz, which is a specific halacha in Bal Yeroeh. It doesn't extend to other areas of halacha, but specifically in the laws of chametz, once it loses its appearance, the mixture of chametz is now permitted. So there would be no proof to the idea that he's trying to defend. Uh, but, says Rab Chaim, there's no proof against it. In other words, who knows? Maybe the uh, first approach is correct and not the second one. Because it could be that the whole concept of losing the appearance of chametz is not applicable to something which is in general food, a mixture of chametz. It only applies to things like glue or laundry or medicines, things which are inherently not eaten. People don't 
eat those types of objects. So that's where the Rambam might apply the idea of losing the appearance of chametz. But it's unclear that it would apply at all to things which are ordinarily foods, just they became inedible in this situation. So uh, it could be the first approach is the correct reading of the Rambam. But the, even if the second approach is correct, says Rab Chaim, there still is a proof to his idea from the Rivid, because the Rivid disagrees on the Rambam's whole concept of losing the appearance of chametz, and he says there's no such thing as that. It's all depends on whether a dog would eat it or not. The only way to keep around medicines and glues and laundry with chametz in it on Pesach is if it's so inedible that a dog would not eat it. Now, Rab Chaim points out that even the Ravid does not disagree with the Rambam when he said that a taroves chametz, which is inedible for people, is allowed to be left on Pesach. The Ravid does not disagree and say that it has to be so inedible that a dog wouldn't eat it. So it sounds like in the Ravid that he holds that if we're talking about either regular chametz, like a piece of bread, or chametz which was used in glue or laundry, all of those cases it has to be inedible even for a dog. Otherwise, you'd have to burn it. But when it comes to a mixture of chametz, it only has to be inedible for humans even though a dog would eat it, it's allowed to be left over on Pesach. So why does the Ravid in his approach distinguish between Taroves Chametz and these other cases? Says Rab Chaim, that seems to be based on his idea that when it's a Taroves, it's Ta'am. And the only time that Ta'am is prohibited is if it's fit to be eaten. But if it's not fit to be eaten, it loses its status of Ta'am and you are allowed to leave it over on Pesach. So within the Ravid, this idea seems to emerge very clearly. That's why the Ravid holds that in all cases it needs to be inedible even for a dog. Only Taroves Chametz is an exception that so long as a person wouldn't eat it, it's allowed to be left over on Pesach. And that's predicated on the idea that Tam is a unique type of Easter. It's different than regular prohibitions of Chametz. And only if it's fit to be eaten do we consider this a Tam which is problematic. Otherwise, once a person wouldn't eat Eat it, then the ta'am ceases to be a problem. So this is Reb Chaim's proof for his idea that ta'am only becomes a problem not just if the person is going to eat it, that it's a prohibition on being eaten, but it's inherently only a problem if it is something which would be eaten. Now, having established this, Rab Chaim comes back to the Rambam that he began with, who says that it's only Osramid or Raisa if there's Mamish, but if there's only Ta'am, if there's less than a Kazayis in Kedechilas Pras, then it's only Osramid Rabbanan. And Rab Chaim very brilliantly explains that the Rambam holds, even though less than a Kazayis is a measurement issue, but it's different than regular Isurim, where having less than the measurement is still usur, it's just the person doesn't get punished. When it comes to Tam Ke'ikar, it has to be fit to be eaten in order to become prohibited to begin with. If there's only Tam, but there's no Isur Achila, there's no measurement which turns this into an act of eating, then it's not even usur to begin with. Tam is only usur if it's going to be eaten. But less than a measurement means that it's not proper eating and therefore it's not even usur 
because it never gets started off as a prohibition of Tom. So it's different than in general when we talk about a Chatsi Shior, less than a Shior, where it's still Asr Mido Raisa because the Isr is still there. There's just less than a Shior, so it means the person can't get punished. But in this case of the Rambam, where non-kosher food was mixed into kosher food, so all that's left is the Ta'am. So if there isn't a shiur to make this ta'am into achila, then it's not a prohibition at all. It loses its whole status of tam ke'ikar, and there is no prohibition whatsoever to eat it. So that's how the Rambam goes directly from it being a lack of a shiur to saying that it's not even usr midoraisa, only midrabanan they made an iser on it. Because according to the Rambam, when it comes to ta'am, a missing shior translates into it being not eating, and therefore it's totally allowed. And the Rab Chaim quotes that this emerges clearly also from the Magid Mishnah in Helchus Chametzu Matzah in Perek Dalid, where he says that according to the Rambam, if you have a taroves chametz, a mixture with chametz in it, but there's less than a kazayis in a pras of chametz, so it doesn't meet the measurement requirements. So there isn't even a prohibition of bal yiroi, of ownership on this chametz. Not only is there no punishment, but you can even own it. Says Rab Chaim, the prohibition of bal yiroi, of not owning chametz, has nothing to do with the measurements of what's prohibited to eat for chametz. So why just because there's less than a measurement of chametz with regard to the eating of it, is it also allowed to own it? So again, this proves Rab Chaim's point that since the problem here is tam, it's the taste, if there's less than a measurement, it means that it's not fit to be eaten. There's no achila in it. And once the achila is gone, so then the ta'am is no longer prohibited in any regard. It's not even prohibited with regard to balye So this would prove Rab Chaim's point again that tam is dependent on being something which could be eaten, which is fit to be eaten, once it loses its status as something which is going to be eaten, so then it's not even prohibited at all. Now, the Ravid, says Rab Chaim, also agrees with this, as he just proved. So the Ravid should also hold, in the case of the Rambam, that once there's no shior, there's no measurement of ta'am, then it's not even prohibited. So why does the Ravid disagree with the Rambam in that regard and hold that ta'am is prohibited midah raisa, even with less than a shear. So Rab Chaim explains that even though the Ravid fundamentally agrees with the idea that tam has to be something which is fit to be eaten, but he holds that when it's only lacking in a shear, that doesn't make it something not fit to be eaten. That's not disqualifier with regard to the achila. It's still considered achila, there's just no shear. So the Ravid has a more dramatic distinction between the lack of a shior and it not being considered ochel, according to the rivet, it doesn't necessarily affect that. So all this is, is the lack of a shear, like other cases in halacha, but it's still a prohibited achila. And so once it's considered an achila, then it's usr mida oraisa. So the machlokas, the rambam and the rivet is not over whether ta'am has to be part of something which is ochel, which has achila in it. They both agree to that. The machlokas is whether the lack of a shior affects whether it's an achila or not. According to the Rambam, it's no longer an achila, therefore it's not asr raisa. And according to the Ravid, it could still be considered an achila. It's just a small achila, less than the shior, but it's still asr raisa. Now, Rab Chaim ends with one further support to this approach, and that's from a very careful reading of the Rambam. He says the Rambam we began with has three 
cases that he discusses. The first is where there is a kazayas within a pras measurement. So that's the case where if you eat the whole thing, that person would be punished because there's ta'am and mamish. And then the Rambam goes to two cases where there would not be punishment, midoraisa, only midrabanan. One is where there is a kazayas within a pras, but the person didn't eat the whole mixture. They only ate part of it. So they didn't eat the full shear. And the second is where there's less than a kazayas within the pras. So then even if they eat the whole mixture, they eat less than a shear. And the only punishment is midra banan. Now, Reb Chaim points out that the third case, meaning the one we just mentioned, where they ate the whole mixture, that makes sense in the context of the Rambam's halacha, because that's literally what he's telling us, that if there's only ta'am and no mamish, so then it's only usr mid So that makes perfect sense that the Rambam would bring that case. But the second case is the outlier. It doesn't seem to fit into this halacha, because the second case is a classic case where someone did not eat a sufficient shear. It's not a specific case where there wasn't a mamish. There was only a tom, but there wasn't a substance. There was both tom and substance in the whole dish, but this person only ate part of the mixture. So they've only eaten a part of the shear. And that's the regular halacha of a chatzi shear, of a part of a shear, which the Rambam already discussed in Hilchos Machalos Asuros in Perak Yudalit. So why is the Rambam quoting it in this context when it's really a halacha that belongs in a different topic? It's not about that there's a requirement to have ta'am and mamish for a punishment midoraisa. It's really about a shior halacha, that a person can't be punished for eating a chatzi shior. They have to eat the full shior. Says Rab Chaim that according to the approach he's developing, now this Rambam does make sense. Because Rab Chaim's whole approach is that the reason why ta'am without mamish is not usr midoraisa is because it's missing the shear. And the Rambam holds that once tam is missing the shear, then it becomes totally mutter because there's no more isr achila. Without the achila, the tam is irrelevant. So that's the basis, the fundamental idea behind the whole halacha the Rambam is recording here. And if we would say differently than that, in other words, if we would say that even if the tam alone doesn't have a shear of achila, but still it combines with the rest of the food in order to be considered an achila, so then even if there was just a little bit of non-kosher food, just tam, but there was no mamish, Still, it should be usr mido raisa, and the person should even be punished mido raisa, because the full mixture, everything together, combines in order to create the shior to make this an achila, which is usr. And this stringency, says Rab Chaim, emerges clearly from the Rambam in Hilchus Chametz and Perak Vav, who says that if you make a dough from both wheat and rice, if it tastes like the wheat, then a person could use that matzah on Pesach. And the Magid Mishnah there says that even if there isn't a kazayis within the measurement of a pras, still it would be sufficient for the mitzvah of matzah on Pesach. And that's also the sheet of the Ramban in his Hilchos Chala. This uh, Rab Chaim explored at great length in his piece on this Rambam in Hilchos Chametzu Matzah. Now, Rab Chaim raises the issue here that both the Rambam and the Ramban in Torah Sabayis is quoted hold that if there isn't a proper shear, so there isn't a kazayis within a pras, then it's only midra bonan that time. It's not do raisa. And the Gemara in Zvachim and Daf Ein Ches understands that the basis of why you're allowed to use matzah, which has the taste of wheat, 
is because of no saint tam. There's the taste of wheat. But according to the Rambam and the Ramban, that taste is only drabanan because there isn't a shear. So how does someone fulfill their mitzvah midoraisa of matzah with something which is only sufficient midrabanan? So Rab Chaim says that this proves what he's saying, that if we could create a combination between the taste and the mixture, then it would be considered ta'am, even mido raisa. And that's why rice and wheat are different, because the Rambam and the Ramban hold that the rice combines with the wheat, it's part of the overall shiur. So there, there is a shiur, and that's why the tam, when it comes to matzah, is de'oraisa. So in that case, since it has the taste of wheat, mido'oraisa, the whole thing has the halacha of wheat because there's a combination of the wheat with the rice, so there's a shiur. It's only when there's a missing shiur, because we can't combine the larger dish with the ta'am, so then the tam has no shear and it's not doraisa, it's only drabanan. So this proves Rab Chaim's basic setup that the main deficiency with tam is that it's lacking a shear and therefore it doesn't have a status mi doraisa. But if it was combined with the larger dish in any case where it would have that shear, then it would have its status mi doraisa. So if the usser tam would combine with the larger dish, then according to the Rambam, the person would be punished mida oraisa. So now this explains why the Rambam did need two cases to show us when a person would not be punished. Neither of them is extraneous to this topic. The first case, meaning the second overall case that the Rambam discusses, is when there is a kazayis within a pras, but the person only ate half of the dish. So that's a halacha that comes from Psachim Daf Mem Gimel, where the Gemara tells us that kol isurin shabat Torah ain't heter mitztarif le'isur. When it comes to the isurin, the prohibitions of the Torah, we don't combine the permitted with the prohibited. So that's what the Rambam is telling us in that halacha, that even if the person ate more than a kazayis, of the whole dish, but since there isn't a kazayis of the prohibited food alone, we don't view that as a shear. We do not see a combination between the prohibited and the permitted foods in that case. So it has to be a shear of the prohibited Easter food on its own. And then in the third case, or the second case of leniency, the Rambam records the halacha of ta'am without mamish from the Gemara Navodah Zara. And he says that in that case also the person would not get punished. But both of these cases are needed because the third one builds on the second one. The reason why in the third case the ta'am is not prohibited at all and we don't say that it combines with the rest of the dish to have a shiur achila and become usr is because of what we learned in the second case that we don't combine prohibited foods and permitted foods. So therefore, in the third case, the ta'am remains without any food to latch onto or to be combined with. And once it's lacking the shear, that's why it's mutter mido raisa. So the third case is based on the principle established in the second case that the ta'am and the heter won't be combined together. So that's why the Rambam quoted that second case, which didn't seem to fit in. But actually now we see that it sets the stage 
for the final halacha. In the third case, that ta'am without mamish is not usr at all midaraisa. Not only is the person not punished, but it loses its whole status of iser. And also, Rab Chaim adds one final touch at the end, very brilliantly, that the Rambam in Hilchus Nazir in Perak Hay, which we quoted before, where the Rambam establishes the same basic principle as he does in our halachas, in Hilchus Macholos Asuros, but when the Rambam gives examples, he only quotes the third case, but he omits in Hilchus Nazir the second case. Says Rab Chaim, this all fits together beautifully because the Rambam and Hilchus Nazir already quoted the halacha earlier in that parak that ain't hetem itstarif le'iser, that we don't combine permitted foods and prohibited foods. So since in that halacha the Rambam's already mentioned that concept, he doesn't need to repeat it by quoting the second case, which he did in Hilchos Macholos Asuros. So he just jumps straight to the third case. But in Hilchos Macholos Asuros, he hasn't established that concept yet. That's why he adds in the second case in order to explain how we get to the third case, that it's not usr at all, Mido Raisa. So this is a very brilliant analysis of the Rambam's presentation of the halachas here and in Nazir and comparing them and uncovers layers of meaning in the language and the presentation of the Rambam. And also this very careful reading of Rab Chaim lends support to his overall approach that he's been developing. So this is Rab Chaim's piece. The key conceptual points are, first of all, the point that he makes several places in the Sefer, which is that the prohibition against eating ta'am of prohibited foods is different than in general eating the prohibited foods because the process of beetle, of nullification, does take effect. But over and above the nullification, the ta'am is now a new iser. So it's not that there is no nullification on it, but rather the nullification doesn't help with regard to the tam. There's still a new problem of the tam being prohibited, even though the actual food is nullified. Now, in this piece, Rab Chaim builds on that extensively, and he develops the idea that since tam is this new prohibition, so it only applies in cases that have to do with achila. It's totally related to the concept of eating, and it has no relevance to halacha outside of whether it's eaten or not. And that has really three distinct meanings throughout this piece. One is that the only prohibition of tam is when it's being eaten. In other cases, it would not apply. So, for example, to isure hana'a, if the prohibition was enjoying it in a way other than eating, then it would not apply. Second, it's only prohibited in something which has the ability to be eaten, so it's fit to be eaten, it's a food item. Anything which does not meet that criteria would not be prohibited because of ta'am. And finally, if it doesn't meet the status of achila in halacha, so it's not considered an act of eating in halacha, then it would not be prohibited because of Tam either. And that last point is the machlokas between the Rambam and the Ravid. The Rambam holds that if it's lacking the Shi'or, then it's missing the criteria of being Achila and it's not prohibited at all, that type of Tam. Whereas the Ravid holds that it could still be considered an Achila, it just doesn't have the measurement which is necessary for punishment, but it's still Aser Mida Raisa. So uh, there's a lot of consequences to this idea that Tam is only prohibited in the realm of Achila, not outside of it. So those are the key themes in this piece, but in the course of his discussion, Rab Chaim also developed some nice ideas with regard to the laws of Chametz. 
And that is with regard to the Rambam holds that a mixture of chametz, once it's unfit for people to eat, you can leave it around. You don't have to destroy it on Pesach. So Rab Chaim has two approaches to understand this. Either because the whole prohibition of a mixture of chametz is tam. So as we said, once it loses its fittingness for people to eat, it's inedible for people, it no longer meets the criteria of food and therefore the tam is not usr anymore. So that would explain why in that case tam doesn't prohibit it and you don't have to burn it on Pesach. Or Rab Chaim has a second option, which is based on the Rambam's idea of tsuras chametz, that if it's a mixture, it's only prohibited if it has the appearance of chametz, but once it's inedible for people, so then that would be a form of losing the appearance of chametz. So his discussion of tsuras chametz, that if it loses the appearance of chametz, it's allowed, is a nice discussion for Helchus chametz. Now, just briefly to uh, touch on Reb Chaim's big chiddush here, that the whole concept of tam only applies to iser achila, to food items or eating prohibitions. So this issue is a running theme throughout the Prima Gadim in Hilchus Yaradeya and also in Hilchus Pesach. In his Psicha to Hilchus Basar Bechalav and in the Psicha Kolelas to Hilchus Pesach in the Paragimel Osches and also in the Sif Das in Simen Kuf Yud Sif Cotton Bays. So in some of those places he's not sure. In some of those places he seems to say that it would not apply to Yisrei Hana like Rab Chaim. So he discusses this. And finally, Rab Chaim's student, Rab Elchanan Wasserman, in the Kovet Shiurim an Psachim in Os Kuf Ayin Hey. So he quotes a machlokas between the Ravid who holds that Ta'am does not apply to Yisrei Hana versus the Rush and the Ran in Avodah who hold that Ta'am does apply both to Achila and Hana'ah. So this approach of Rab Chaim would be in the Rambam and the Ravid, but the Rush and the Ran disagree.